Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and we talked this morning a little bit about uh, Babylon, and of course we know in Revelations that Babylon the Great is uh, the mystery Babylon is supposed to be coming in the last days, and in the last days, uh, millions, maybe billions of people are supposed to die, a third of the sea, uh, it's supposed to be all kinds of calamities, and there's supposed to be a beast and a mark of the beast, and we've written about all these things and explained what the beast was uh, and what the mark of the beast is likely to be, and uh, we have all that up at preparingyou.com, and uh, you just look up mark of the beast, and there'll be an article, there'll be recordings, it'll explain it all to you. But uh, are we accurate? Are, are, are we telling you the truth? I mean, it's our opinion of what we see, and we share with you not only our opinion, but why we have come to this opinion. In logical terms, looking up the words, showing you what words meant at that particular time. And you you get to make your own decision. We do not want to encourage you to climb up into the tree of knowledge and figure out what's going on because you won't be able to do it. Uh, Eating from the tree of knowledge is what got us into trouble. You want to be eating from this tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And it is this connection we can have in our physical beings uh, that is actually a spiritual connection. And it is what they call being born again. Now, a lot of people think they're born again, and we've explained this. If you go read John where they talk about being born again, and you just read a little bit further, they're saying that if if you're doing certain things, you're not born again, period. That's it. Uh, it's just not going to be. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who think they're born again don't read that far. They only read as far as they want to read what is comfortable and because the Bible, or at least their interpretation of the Bible, is their comforter and not the Holy Spirit. So that leaves them to have to conjure up a Holy Spirit in their own minds and their own feelings that they will reproduce. I know that when I was in the seminary, I was... You know, I I had a leading of the Holy Spirit. When I look back now, I, I realized that the Holy Spirit was guiding me here and there throughout my life. I didn't always listen to it. And whenever you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that cannot be forgiven you. That's the sin that cannot be forgiven until you stop blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In other words, start, stop rejecting it and start accepting it. In order to do that, you have to admit you were wrong. And I have admitted I was wrong many, many, many times. But I've also done my homework. We talked this morning about a lot of different subjects. I go all over the place and I make references. And I do make mistakes occasionally, but uh, um, maybe I make them more than occasionally. <laughs> who you're talking to. And I, I, in putting together a large book for one of uh, the church organizations to help guide them, it's kind of history, it's uh, what I call a portfolio of all the events and uh, the 
the original formation documents and everything, to create an institution, a table in the world upon which you can perform those acts that Christ told us to do, so that you do not have to perform those acts that Christ told us not to do, which is the deeds of the Nicolaitan, which are the era of Balaam, which have been around since Nimrod and before. And so to understand what the era of Balaam is and the era of Nicolaitan, we have articles on that. So you can go read that. Nicolaitans have nothing to do with a guy named Nicholas. It has to do with the conquered people. The same as the word Balaam has to do with conquered people. It's just different languages, so you end up with a different word. But they're clearly tied together in the Bible. They, they say they are the same. And uh, the Arab Balaam has nothing to do with a guy named Nicholas. So uh, these, there's a very logical way in which you can pursue the facts and say, oh yeah, well that makes sense, but that means that what I thought before does not make sense. And you have to be willing to admit that. So anyway, through this progression of logical explanations... Not to tell you what the truth is, because the only thing that can tell you what the truth is is the Holy Spirit. But to convince you, you need to set down the things that you have believed to be true that just ain't so. And, and that's a repeated message over and over again. But I came across this letter that was written where a number of people left what we're doing. They they decided not to walk with us. And they had all kinds of reasons why they thought that they should leave. And that they should go another way. And they decided to go another way. And that's fine. And they they wrote withdrawal of consent. So what that means is in relationship to the organizations that we... Uh, you know, the organizing that we do. I don't want to say organizations because... A religious organization is treated a certain way in modern law. So vocabulary matters when you're dealing with the world. And I'm talking to people out there in the world. So the the church is an organization that is organized by Christ in the sense that it was instituted, established by Jesus Christ. It wasn't established by me. It wasn't established by you. It wasn't established by Peter. It was established by Jesus Christ. It wasn't established by Constantine. It wasn't established by Ambrose. It was established by Jesus Christ. It's not established by the Pope. It's established by Jesus Christ. The way you become a part of that institution, which I believe has been around since Jesus Christ, and actually around before that, because Jesus said he was going to take the kingdom away from guys who were sitting in the seat of Moses... And appoint it to guys who would bear fruit. And I think he did that. Well, he will do that today. He will appoint it to those who bear fruit. Those who will follow the way. Those who will conform to the dictates of Christ. Which he dictated some things to us. He commanded some things. So that we might be saved. So that we might be free. If we... Say we believe in Jesus, but we still, by the confession of our deeds, adhere to the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which God hates, then we're not saved. 
But you say, we, we confessed him. But you think confessing is simply the words of your mouth. And Jesus says, not what you say, but what you do. That is your confession. I mean, Jesus said that. Not what you say, what you do. So what you do is your confession. So that if you're doing the deeds of the Nicolaitan, you're not following the way of Christ. Because Christ and God hate the deeds of the Nicolaitan. If you're following the ways of Balaam, if you're following the ways of Nimrod, if you're following the ways of those kings who offer dainties, because you have an appetite for those dainties, then you are not following the way of Christ. So, when I see, when somebody tells me they're withdrawing consent, what did they consent to? And this is one of the things we explain in the Free Church Report, which is a 144-page book that tells you how you can organize the church today. You can take that book. It's free download. You don't have to pay me anything for it. And read that book and organize yourself. But that's not going to do you any good unless you're actually conforming to what Christ is actually saying. And I will tell you this. Many people read these books that we've put out. The five books that we have put out to the general public. And they don't understand what they're reading. They think they understand what they're reading. But they're using criteria of things that they've already believed are true that just ain't so. And so therefore they're imposing the image that they create by reading the book over the existing image in their own mind. And they have to set those things down. But I can't make them do it. But I can point out when it appears to me that they're doing the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And I've, over the years, I've kind of summed these things up and shrunk them down to a certain level so that it's pretty easy to tell. So anyway, uh, uh, one of the complaints that the individuals had is they have not received confirmation from Gregory, that's me, via a signed, sealed, returned uh, C.O.R. application document. Well, the C.O.R. The, he clearly does not understand the C.O.R. application document because they're not applying to me. Uh, they're actually uh, requesting somebody to be their minister. They're they're approving somebody to be their minister. They're saying. You know, you got ten guys in a room. And I said, well, one of us is going to be the administer, administrator of this gathering. At least for today. And uh, whatever it is that we're, we've gathered to do, that we've freely assembled, what they used to call in the Old Testament a free assembly, what is sometimes referred to today as a congregation, or we refer to as a congregation of record, And what it is is a congregation of recorded elders. And, of course, we show in an article, which you can go read. Many people who might be hearing us for the first time aren't going to get this. An elder is simply an elder of a family. Paul was not appointing elders. Nobody in the church were appointing elders. They were appointing men who were elders to do certain things. They were elders by condition, by circumstance. They were head of families. That is what the word means. That's what it used to mean. That is what it has always meant. But people switch it over to mean like an office of the church. 
Now, we need to have elders in this church. Do you have heads of families? Well, then you got elders, period. That's it. Now, you may not agree with that definition, but that's the definition we go by when we say a congregation of recorded elders. It's the heads of families get together and they say, okay, there's ten of us here, and Christ commanded that his people gather in tens, that he commanded that his ministers, his disciples, make the people assemble themselves in tens. They weren't going around and saying, okay, you ten guys, you're over here on this team. You ten guys are over here on this team. No, you have to figure this out because the church operates according to the perfect law of liberty. If I can say, you have to be in this congregation, you have to be in this congregation, you have to accept this minister, this is the minister I'm going to send you, this is the bishop I'm going to send you, then I'm exercising authority. One over the other, and it's very clear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in John, that Jesus did not want you exercising authority one over the other like the other governments of the world. He's saying, I'm taking the kingdom, the government, away from these guys. I'm going to appoint it to you, then he does. He says, I'm going to appoint it to my little flock, and then he does. But he says, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. So I can't, I can't organize you into tens, hundreds, but I can require, if I'm going to serve you, if I'm going to help you, you need to be in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. Because I'm commanded to make sure that that's what you do before I treat you as if you are followers of Christ. Now, I didn't put that requirement on there. And you're going to see later where people are saying that, yeah, I'm raising the bar. No, I'm mentioning things that Christ put down, that Christ said and was recorded in the Bible, and I'm bringing them up. You're saying I'm adding something new. I didn't. I didn't go in there and slip a new clause in the Bible. He said, He commanded his disciples to make the people organized in this fashion. And so, you know, when I read that, I said, okay, I'm going to do what Jesus said. I'm sticking with him. Other people don't seem to get that. So anyway, in order to make a record, the people of the world love record. And they make paper, and sometimes out of linen. We don't always use linen. But it's paper. Linen was like, they made paper out of linen. They made it out of papyrus, but that was pretty fragile stuff. But good paper was made out of linen. And the breaches of the Levites were to be made by the people. Because what the they were doing when they were making those breaches, they were giving them a covering because they were naked. And we've explained this. You can go read our article on breaches. You can listen to the recording. They were naked because they had no authority. And they weren't to go up by steps. In other words, a hierarchy of authority over, you know, this guy's over this guy, this guy's over this guy, until you finally get to the Pope who's over everybody. Not supposed to do that, according to the Levites. And, and if we follow Christ, the one who's to be highest is to be servant to all. And he's not higher in authority. He's not going to send you a bishop. He's not going to send you a priest. He's not going to say, you guys get to be here. And I can excommunicate you if you don't do things the way I say. I can't excommunicate you. I cannot walk with you, just as these guys decided to withdraw consent. What they did was, when they withdrew consent, is they said their minister couldn't be their minister. Now, if their minister had picked me to be their minister... 
then he could withdraw consent and say, I don't, I don't want you, I maybe want one of the other guys to be my minister. You can do that. And I can say, I don't want to be your minister anymore. Because, see, that's the other consent, is that he says, we want to pick this guy to be our minister, and then he consents to it. And then they send that form to another minister of the choice of the minister, and he consents to it. So now you have a paper record that these guys said, we're going to practice religion, which is how you take care of the needy of society, through this minister, and he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do create these ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded, and I'm going to pick this minister, and then he can go pick another minister, and then you have this network, which is what Christ and how the early church operated. Anywhere along the line, on any day of the week, you can change your mind and say, I don't consent to you being my minister anymore, I want this guy. And then that guy gets to consent or not to be your minister, because he may say, ah, I'm too busy, I can't do it. It's it, that's the perfect law of liberty. So they have every right to do that. And so, anyway, they then go and start explaining why they're doing that. And as I read why they're doing that, I realize they don't know what we've been talking about. They think they do. But they've superimposed it over a lot of private interpretations that isn't our interpretation. Now, again, we could be wrong, but we back it up with thousands of pages, hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand recordings explaining this. And I think I'm pretty consistent. If you think I'm not being consistent, chances are you didn't understand something I said before. (laughs) But that's, that's my opinion. I'll have the conversation, and I had the conversation with them, but they could only hear what they wanted to hear. And so they made their decisions to not walk with us. And they haven't been walking with us. They've made some bad decisions too, but that that's their choice. That's the perfect law of liberty. Uh, they quote at one point, 1 Peter one twenty two, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren... See that ye love one another with pure heart fervently. Like fervent charity. There's actually, I just looked it up, there's a word fervently that shows up twice, or fervent, that shows up twice. And fervently here, I'm not sure which word that is. I have to go look it up in the Greek. But it's probably a similar word. It could be because of the fact that, you know, because the word I looked up may have been a noun, and there was only two occasions of it, but then there could be an adjective that's almost the same. And of course, the Greek, you know, they changed the ending or a verb that means almost the same. And that could be that word. I would suspect it is, but I, I don't have the Greek in front of me, so we'll just have to skip that. But the point is, is it says, ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Have you obeyed the truth? And have you obeyed the truth through the Spirit? Or have you memorized a doctrine and are trying to implement your actions through that doctrine by your own will? No. 
you have to submit to the Spirit. And we've talked a lot about that. And I can't go into all that, all these little points. But I'm going to bring up several of these and then get to the next, the nitty gritty, so to speak. Uh, he does say that we do agree and fully admit that we have all been blessed by your our relationship with you and the valuable teachings in which you have devoted your life. Well, these teachings are the teachings of Christ, and I've, I've looked at them, led by the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, to do so, and come up with conclusions that seem to run contrary to a lot of other churches. Considering the fact that the whole world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt brings into question whether all these other churches are actually really churches established by Christ or if they're the ones who are actually workers of iniquity that Christ warns us about that would be the many who claim to be Christians but are not. Anyway, they slip in there here the Matthew 18 uh Verses 14 through 17 where it says, they don't have this, but I went and looked it up and put it in there. Even so, it is not the will of uh, your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. But the little ones that should perish are, who are they? Well, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to save. But he put a might there. You might be saved, but you have to in order to become one of the little ones of Christ, the little ones of the Father, to be one of the children of God, which is what the Israelites called themselves, is the children of God, then you have to be obedient children of God. Now, you can't be disobedient children of God and still say that you're following God. Because the, what you're doing is your confession. It's not what you say again. We go back to that. It's not what you say, it's what you do is your confession. Not that you're saved by works, but the works, as James says, is evidence of your faith. If if you don't have the works, your faith is not real faith. It's dead faith. It's fake faith. It's fake religion. And you need to repent of that. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Well, I've gone to a lot of people alone. Uh, not that everybody's offended me or trespassed against me. but uh, uh, And then he doesn't say everybody. He says your brother. And so anyway, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two or more. And so this is what they did. They got together with several other people. I don't see that they actually came to me one-on-one. I explained to them. I always answered their their inquiries. But uh, they didn't always hear what I said as an answer because they were trying to superimpose what they already believed to be true over what I was sharing with them. And they don't always fit. And so, now that we've got probably three times as many recordings up, lots of books, uh, lots of articles, people should be able to go through this and find out what's what. So, they also quote down here, you know, like I say, this is uh, by no means to be misconstrued as not being doers of the word. It goes on, the Holy Spirit has cautioned us that we cannot continue in the 
error of relying on the arm of the flesh to build the kingdom. Well, of course, I I don't uh, rely on the arm of the flesh to build the kingdom. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. I don't know where he thinks somebody is doing the arm of the flesh. What we're setting up here in the network, which is what Christ was doing, was giving you the opportunity of loving your neighbor as yourself, of sacrificing daily for your neighbor, laying down your will so that you may pick up the will of God and find out what the will of God is for you and and walk in the Spirit. The kingdom of God is not in a vacuum. It's in... It's in the world, but it's just not of the world. It is setting the table of the Lord. It is taking care of one another. It is loving one another through charity rather than through force. And so what we're showing you is what Christ showed you how to do was to organize yourselves in a way in which the conditions of your community lend themselves to developing a relationship with that spirit. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we'll start at 7. Uh, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are we saved. Absolutely. Through faith. But it has to be real faith. Not faith in our opinions, faith in our personal knowledge, faith in the tree of knowledge, but true faith in the Spirit. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. No. But still, there needs to be works so that we know faith is true. The same as being born again. If you're still a worker of iniquity, if you're still denying the truth, you're not born again. And this is why there were all these people, the many, who said they believed in Christ, they did great things in Christ's name, but he says, get ye from me, you workers of iniquity. That was the verse that frightened, uh, I forget his name, (laughs) a famous minister, passed away now, but, uh, very popular with people all over Christianity or modern Christianity. I should add that adjective. And uh, Billy Graham, that was it. Billy Graham, his greatest fear was that when he got to the pearly gates or died, that God would say, get ye from me, you worker of iniquity. Why would he be afraid of that if he had real faith? But that's what he said. And I believe that that was bothering him. But, anyway, they have six things here that they put down. I think it was six. Yeah, six things that they put down. Actually, they put headings underneath, or, or you know, subtitles underneath. But, he, they suggested I subtly undermining the authority of the Scriptures. Absolutely, that, that just seems absolutely unbelievable that anybody would think that. Because everywhere, I mean, I quote the Scriptures constantly. Constantly I'm quoting the scriptures. There's footnotes everywhere. So, uh, I actually, in, when they talk about the authority of the scriptures, there is a certain problem with that phraseology. Authority of the scriptures. Because what are you really talking about? Are you talking about the authority of my opinion of the scriptures? 
Because they are subject to interpretation. Now, if they're rightly interpreted through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, no problem. But the authority is Christ. The authority is the anointing of Christ. The authority is the Holy Spirit. The authority is God. And God is the same today as he was yesterday. So, scriptures themselves are just writings on a piece of paper. But proper interpretation of the scripture is showing you the authority. Because the scripture is a witness. So, no, I don't undermine the authority of Scripture, but I will undermine the authority of your opinion of Scriptures because they're not subject to private interpretation. Your interpretation, my interpretation, uh, the Pope's interpretation, Billy Graham's interpretation are private interpretations. But the Holy Spirit's interpretation is, is not private. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the truth. And that's how, that's one of the ways you know whether somebody's listening to the Holy Spirit or not is what, what are they, what is it telling them? You know, what Jim Jones was telling everybody to drink Kool-Aid. I don't think that was the Holy Spirit. Pretty sure it wasn't. Now that's obvious, but there's a lot of other people that are less obvious. They seem like nicer guys and they're not telling you to drink poison Kool-Aid, but they may be Maybe getting you to drink some Kool-Aid that's poisonous, um, you know, proverbially speaking. So that that would be bad. So no, I don't undermine the authority of the Holy Spirit, which guided men to write the Scriptures, did not guide all men who translated the Scriptures, and certainly does not guide all men who interpret the Scriptures with their private interpretation. Um uh, there is a standard sound doctrine and it's basically the words of Jesus Christ. And I'm working on going to a whole study of the Bible where we take a look at the words of Jesus Christ in the context of the Bible. And so, in the context of the history, in the context of the language. But ultimately, again, all the information we're sharing is to help you set down the lie. And the only way to set down the lie is to forgive the liar's who told you the lie? See, when I first started this route, I don't know, I wouldn't say first, well, I, I made certain revelations and began to write down, and I had difficulty even saying church. And my first website was the Ecclesia, because I went back to the Greek, but I realized that that was just the bitterness I had in me still for those ministers of an organization that did call itself the church, that lied to me. Now, I have to forgive them because they know not what they do. Because they didn't even, a lot of times, they didn't know they were lying. Now, there are some guys out there who know they're lying, and they like to lie, and they want to continue on lying. Well, I don't have to judge them. As a matter of fact, if I judge them, then God's not going to There's no double jeopardy in the kingdom of God. You either let God do the judging or not. What I am supposed to do is be a light in the room so that God can judge them. If I judge them, I'm usurping the Lord. Don't do that. Now, that takes a little bit of unpacking to understand. Most people won't get that. But let's go on to two. Now, item two, evasiveness when asked direct questions. I don't think I'm evasive 
when asked direct questions. I am evasive when I'm asked to perform certain deeds or say certain catchphrases to recite mantras and chants. Because that's what a lot of religion... You're supposed to say, and people think again, back to this confession, that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God. You have to say this out loud before people. And, no, you you need to confess it. But it's not what you say, it's what you do. That is your confession. That's what Christ says. It's not what you say. Now, Paul preached Christ first, so even though sometimes Paul seems to be saying that all you have to do is say this or say that, Paul is saying this in the context of Christ. So, again, the doctrines of Christ are the doctrines of Christ. If you're looking at Paul outside of the doctrines of Christ, you're probably going to screw up your understanding of Paul. And I I base that assumption on education that spans over half a century of watching people misinterpret Paul. People on the show directly before this, they misinterpret Paul. But they also misinterpret Christ. They also misinterpret the Old Testament because of what I talked about this morning concerning the Pharisees and the Masoretic texts and your inter- the Pharisees all read Hebrew, but they didn't understand who Moses was. They, they would have understood who Christ was if they understood who Moses was, but they didn't, and they didn't because of the same mindset that I'm talking about with these people who decided to walk another way, which they have every right to do. So, he goes on to say uh, that somehow I, I lack transparency and deflection of topics. I don't know that I... I'm usually getting into trouble because I'm too direct. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he says, uh, Jesus Christ, and this is one of those sub-things, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And I, I'm not sure I'm going to have time, I won't have time to go into that. There's really only one place, uh, well, there's a couple of places that it infers that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And I don't disagree with this statement. I disagree with what a lot of people think that statement means. Because they're reading it in the English. And they're also reading it in their preconceived notions that they're imposing on the, the scriptures. And so they may misunderstand. I mean, just the word God. What does the word God mean? What does the word son mean? I mean, Jesus said to, he who does the will of my father is my brother. So, if you're the brother of Christ, aren't you also a son of God? Well, then you can throw in, but he's not begotten son of God. Well, if you're born again, aren't you begotten? Because <laughs> you're born of the Spirit. So, you are a begotten son of God. You know, so, and I'm not trying to play word games here, but reciting phrases is not confessing the truth. And people are trying to get you to recite certain phrases and then they're comforted by the fact that they heard you recite it. You know, and, and then take it into context. When, when people were saying that at the time of Paul, they could get 
seriously persecuted when they did it. Now, if we go to, and they mention here Matthew sixteen sixteen, and I went and looked it up so I could quote it exactly. Because they don't have all these verses memorized. I mean, I'm familiar with it extremely. That, you know, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ and the Son of the living God. Well, when he said that, Jesus had asked all the apostles who they thought he was. And he asked three times. And nobody could really answer. But that's the answer that Peter gave. Well, if you don't know that at that particular time in history, Augustus Caesar and Tiberius and eventually Hadrian and Trajan were all claiming to be the son of the living God. They all said they were the son of the living God. They all said they were anointed to be the sons of the living God. They all said they were saviors, sotars. They all said that. But Peter said, no, you're it, Jesus. Wow. So, what he's just made a statement of allegiance to the head of a government of Judea. And really, because the Israelites are spread all over the Roman Empire, theoretically, he's the king of all the Israelites, wherever they're at. And all those people, Hittites and anybody else who came into the kingdom back in the days of Saul and David. But the problem is, is, you know, like a large portion of the kingdom of God said, what is David to us? And they went back to their own tents and they left the city that was established when the people established a king against the advice of Samuel in 1 Samuel 8. But anyway, we won't go into all that. But the reality is, is that Jesus said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from those who are sitting in the seat of Moses and I'm going to give them to another group that was going to bear fruit. And they're going to bear fruit because they're doing things according to the way of God. And the Pharisees were actually making the word of God to none effect. The apostles were going to end up making the word of God to effect. So, in under B, they talk about a direct personal worship of Yahweh, God the Father. They, they want to put in the Yadahe-Vahe. And uh, they also put in the Yahshua, for Jesus Christ, and praise of Him. Well, okay. So, I created another page on praise. Because what is praise? There, you see the word a lot of times in the Old and New Testament, praise. But it's not always the same word. They have lots of different words that they translate into praise. And one of those words just means an opinion. Now, again, I have an opinion. You have an opinion. We all have opinions. But God's opinion is reality. So, praising God requires that you're willing to see reality. And your personal worship of Yahweh, again, worship means bow down to the authority of God. Not bow down to my authority, because I don't have any exercising authority, but bow down to the authority of God. How do I know that you're actually worshiping Yahweh? Yadavai, God the Father. How do I know that you're actually worshiping? By what you do. That if you're a worker of iniquity, that you're not worshiping God. You're saying you worship God with your mouth, but you're not doing it with your actions. Now, 
Sometimes it's hard to tell because I, I don't see everything you're doing. But I don't need to know. I just need to know what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. This is very... The kingdom of God is operating again under the perfect law of liberty. When you gather together in a free assembly, and we're going to eventually get to that, I put together uh, just a single page on this, and I, I will publish it eventually. Um, it's going into this book that I'm compiling and hope to have bound up by the end of the day. Uh, although I've been struggling with this for days. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, under C, under this same uh, heading too, belief, placing full trust, that's what they call belief, in the shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus for forgiveness of sins and salvation, eternal life. What does that mean? How do I know that you place full trust in the shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Well, we've written lots of stuff and we've done lots of shows uh, we have a page called eternal life so we know that there are certain criteria that Christ laid down and if you're not keeping those commandments you know you're not abiding in the love of Christ so I know you don't have full trust I hope you do someday but I'm not re- I'm not creating a I believe in Jesus Christ club I'm conforming and walking in the spirit and we'll we'll touch on that more as we look at how the church should be organized according to Christ. Okay, number D, justification by God's grace through faith alone. Absolutely. What faith? Faith in your opinion or faith in Christ? How do I know it's not just your opinion? How do I know that it, well, I don't necessarily know. God knows. But I, there's a lot of telltale signs that we can look at. If you're a worker of iniquity, if you love the wages of unrighteousness, uh, you know, if you're, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, uh, through men who exercise authority, if you're eating at the table of Caesar and not wanting to set the table of the Lord, if you're not taking care, you're not practicing pure religion, through faith, hope, and charity, but practicing false religion through force, fear, and fealty. I know, hey, this guy is not justified by his faith because he doesn't have faith. He certainly doesn't have full faith. And so, you know, this is understanding the Christian conflict is understanding where that division is created. Now, I'm not creating the division. I'm just pointing out how what God said, what Christ said, what it's written in the scriptures. And it does not jive with what a lot of other people think, so they they kind of feel threatened by that. I can't do anything about that. I have to tell the truth. Simply proclaiming him as king of the Jews or saying others say he is God is not a substitute for your personal confession. What is your personal confession? What you do. Are you setting the table of the Lord? Are you sacrificing in a daily ministration of faith, hope, and charity? Or are you dependent upon men who exercise authority for your daily bread? Now, I know one of the guys who wrote this. Uh, his wife is now retired. And, he, of course, he was retired. And he's, he can be collecting Social Security now. And that's fine. He can collect it. But that's part of his confession. 
that he didn't walk with us, but he did not set up the kingdom according to what Christ commanded us to do. So that's a serious problem. But let's get on to number three before we run out of time. Constant imbalance towards negativity. Well, you know, Christ was pretty negative. Called the, the ruling government of the day vipers, whited sepulchers, <laughs> all this stuff. And uh, was scolding people, you know, who is who is the son, the one who does what the father says, or the one who says he's going to do what the father says but doesn't do it. See, this is, takes you back to this, you know, confession. We said we were going to follow Jesus with our full heart and trust and obedience. But you're not. So who is, but the other guy who maybe said he didn't want to, but then ended up doing that, then who is the son? Who is the children of God? It's the ones doing the will of the Father. They're not saved by that doing, but that doing is evidence that they actually believe in what Jesus said. So it goes on, allowance of critical, sometimes condemning spirits of all other churches, leaders, and peers in the movement. In what movement? Is is Christianity a movement? <laughs> I just... The criticisms I put out there are based on the words of Christ. And I only criticize, and I point this out over and over again. You know, if you see somebody headed for a cliff, I'm going to say, don't go that way. You're about to drive over a cliff. You're about to cut your finger off. You're about to slit your throat. You're you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong side of the river. That's critical. But it's all done so that you get straight with the Lord. <laughs> Start doing what He said. You don't have to do what I said. You can come and go as you want. Unhealthy emphasis on rowing my way. I never say that. I said that the minister group is a row-only group. And one of my closest friends over the years, a guy who put a great deal of of time and energy and, and because I, I felt very close to him. He got on the minister group or on the uh, contact minister group and said that he just wanted to observe. And I, I, I took him off the group. I said... Because that was a permission group, you know, to get on the group, you got, you had to ask permission, you were given permission, therefore I could take it away, and that's an important concept. I can't, I'm not giving you permission to follow Christ. But if I create an email group, I may give you permission to get on that group. I may even create rules, the same as, you know, like if you stay in the apartment out here next to uh, my house, or out on the trailer, out on the church property, I may say, oh, you can't have pets in the in in the trailer. I can make that rule because I I have authority over that. I don't have authority over you. You can do what you want, but you can't stay in that apartment if you keep pets in that apartment. That's pretty simple. Actually, the apartment we've let people put pets in there, but that's a cement floor. <laughs> so, but anyway, there's a reason why we make up some of these rules. But I don't make up rules for you. You can go where you want and have as many pets as you want. I don't make up those rules. But that group, 
and I said it from the beginning, was a row-only group. It's only for people who are participating. It's not for observation. It's, you want to be in the bleachers, go into the bleachers. You have to participate to be on a working group. That's why we call it a working group. And uh, so... You know, if you don't want to row, don't get on that group. Because, I mean, I mean, like if you were rowing in a rowing race, you got, what, eight positions, depending on the size of your boat. Everybody's got to row. Nobody gets to say, I don't want to row. I just want to ride along. Everybody's got to do their part. And so you get to do that, especially if you, you're in charge of the boat. You know, that guy back there with a the megaphone. Row, row, row. You gotta listen to him. You could, if you don't like to, next time you can get a different guy and put him in there. But if you're gonna row, you gotta row. You gotta row according to what he's, oh, I didn't want, I wanted to row every other time. <laughs> you know, screw everybody up. Your row, oars will be hitting each other. So it was a row only group. So, yeah, it's not row my way. You can go row any way you want. You just, if I give you a boat, you, and I set it up, and I put people in because I'm the captain of the team. Then you got to row according. To, and of course, the only way I tell you to row is the way Christ said to row. So anyway, number five: inconsistency in your requirements regarding contact ministers' performance, uh, i.e., the bar keeps rising higher and higher. Well, a contact minister isn't even a minister of the church. Contact minister is just something we made up. And it was, people would come and they would join the overall email group and they'd have lots of questions. And so certain people who had been around for a while could become a contact minister if a couple people showed some faith in them. They're not really ministers, they're just on the email group. And what they're supposed to do is, is, you know, if people have a question, you can, they should be able to know where to answer that or find the answer. What happened was that we got some people who just came in and they elected a contact. You had to have two people elect a contact minister. And then they became contact ministers and they were undermining what we were doing. They were actually working against it. They were rowing the other way. And so we said, no, you have to be a... We added the thing that a contact minister has to be a member of a viable congregation. And that that is something that we changed and everybody agreed, or at least most of the people agreed... Enough so, most of the regular people agreed because we had this problem that came up. But those aren't offices of the church. I'm not making up new offices. It's just for an email group that they had to be this. So number six, toleration of unkindness, strife, and controlling spirit within the church. I tolerate you making your own choices. Each... Each individual congregation gets their free assemblies. And this is where we need to go on to this other thing that I've been working on. I wrote this thing as a letter of explanation concerning the status of congregations and minister trustees. Now, one of the things that people people want to be a member of a congregation, we don't like that word member. Congregation is a modern English term used in translating certain words, and we also see it translating certain words in the Old Testament as well. But in the Old Testament, 
these assemblies that they call congregations were free assemblies. That the they weren't corporate entities. They weren't you you didn't see in modern church they got lots of different churches and they all incorporate to the state or some of them want to be unincorporated and they become unincorporated associations and and which the state is going to refer to as a corporation and and we have articles on LBT uh, 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 IBT excuse me IBT that explains how people can get into all kinds of trouble and it's way too complicated in order to get in the next six minutes. And so this is probably another whole show in this two-page document. Actually, it runs almost three pages because of the quotes that I added to it. But the actual letter is is very small. But uh, all men are trustees from the days of Adam. God entrusted us with the garden. He trusted us with dominion over the fishes and over the life and over the land uh, of the world, but not dominion over each other. Now, we can give other people dominion over us. That's what people did with Nimrod. That's what people did with the city of Cain. That's what people did with Saul. They gave dominion to him. They were to write down a constitution that we've already gone over in Deuteronomy 17, and put five restrictions on that person you give some dominion to. And of course, we didn't do that with the Constitution of the United States, etc. But in the congregations, the individual elders of families, we're trying to return every man to his family and every man to his possession. We're not trying to give some of the authority that belongs to each individual and each individual family, we're not trying to deposit that and create an entity called a corporation or an unassociated, uh, an unincorporated association or a congregation as an entity. A congregation is a free assembly. I can't kick you out. I can't bring you in. The minister of that congregation can say, I don't want to be your minister anymore. And then you can appeal to all the other brothers in your congregation and maybe you'll pick a different minister or maybe they are all in agreement that they don't want to walk with you. But you're not changing membership because it's not an entity that you can be a member of. It's a free assembly where all your choices remain with you. This is the difference between the the gods of Caesar and Pharaoh and Nimrod and the God of heaven. The God of heaven wants you to have the individual right to choose. In order to maintain that, based on the legal systems of the world and the law of nature, and nature's God, your assembly must remain free. No one exercises authority over one another. No no congregant exercises authority over other congregants. But they also don't exercise authority over the minister. Yet the minister is supposed to provide a daily ministration of pure religion through faith, hope, and charity so that you can practice that faith in the practice of pure religion. And so your offering to the minister must be given up entirely. And he has total say-so over how to use it. If he doesn't use it wisely, you don't have to ever give to him again. You can pick a new minister. Every day is elective and election day because every offering you make is a votive offering. 
And you're testing your minister. You're ministering to your minister. The church should be elder driven because this Holy Spirit lives in every elder. But people still are trying to impose this idea that I want to be a member of this so that I can not be a member of that. And they condemn themselves. Anyway, we're not going to have time to go through all this. I'm looking at the clock as it's ticking away. So anyway, that's probably one of the most important things to understand. That and and then the other thing which we've touched on is the paperwork is to protect the minister because the world loves to see paperwork. And oh, I could tell you great stories about that, but we don't have enough time to do it. <laughs> but the, we got a lot of things that I've been working on, and uh, we're going to try to put them together so that everybody can see this. So I'm going to probably sign off here. Uh, join us on the network. Learn to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Learn what it means to love one another. And uh, seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And the only way you're going to find that is through the Holy Spirit. Until then, I'm just going to have to say peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.